Diverse is brought to you by SWE Advance, supporting the recruitment, retention, and advancement of women in engineering through career resources, professional development, and one-to-one networking opportunities. Hi, I'm Jessica Rano, FY17 President of the Society of Women Engineers, and this is SWE's Diverse Podcast Series. Please remember to add this podcast to your iTunes and like or follow us on social media. Visit SWE.org for more details. Joining me now is Joan C. Williams, Distinguished Professor of Law at the University of California, Hastings College of Law, and Founding Director of the Center of Work-Life Law. Joan partnered with the Society of Women Engineers to conduct a study that we call Climate Control, Gender and Racial Bias in Engineering. The results of the study suggest that the engineering workplace climate is tougher for women and people of color as compared to white men. Hi, Joan. Thank you for joining us today. Delighted to be here. We'll jump right in. Can you tell us a little bit about your career and educational background? Yes, I went to Yale College and Harvard Law School, and I actually have a degree from an MA from MIT. I've been a law professor for nearly 40 years, my whole career. About 15 years ago, I started to focus on women in STEM through the center that I founded called the Center for Work-Life Law. And actually, one of the first things we did was a game, an online game called Gender Bias Bingo, which is still online. And if you send us your experiences, we will send you a t-shirt. So by all means, visit that genderbiasbingo.com. More recently, with my colleague, Marianne Mason and Jessica Lee, both my colleagues, we developed a set of online tools called Tools for Change in STEM. And that has a tremendous number of free resources, including a lot of webinars that will help employers retain women in STEM. And even more recently, my colleague Jessica Lee at the Center for Work-Life Law is leading work that is looking into how pregnant postdocs and graduate students are treated because unfortunately, a lot of times they experience such problems surrounding pregnancy and motherhood that they're kind of pushed out of the STEM pipeline. So that's some of the work that I have done that's relevant to the climate control study. It's great that we were able to connect SWE and your Center for Work-Life Law and work on the climate control study. So it was conducted last year and then released in the fall. And we had over 3,000 professionals with at least two years experience as either an engineer or an engineering technician complete the survey. Respondents were asked questions relating to the four basic patterns of implicit bias, prove it again, tightrope, maternal wall, and tug of war. Can you tell us more about the study and those types of bias and the results you found? Yeah, this the climate control study is a follow-up study to an earlier study called Double Jeopardy, Gender Bias Against Women in STEM, where we surveyed and interviewed women science professors to explore whether there was gender bias in STEM, and if so, how that the experience of gender bias differed by race. We found robust levels of the kinds of gender bias that have been 
documented over and over again in lab studies, typically using college students or audit studies in employers. But we wanted to study not only women, which is what the Double Jeopardy study focused on, we wanted to survey both men and women, which is what we did in climate control. And we wanted to examine not only gender bias, but also racial bias, racial bias as encountered by both men and women of color. And that's exactly what we did in the climate control study. There are four basic patterns of bias. Three of them are race-gender patterns. They're triggered by gender as well as by race. And one of them, the prove-it-again pattern, we found was triggered by age as well as gender and race. So let me talk about those four patterns one by one. The first we call prove it again, and that stems from the fact that if most people think about the brilliant scientist, the automatic association is with a middle-aged white man. And so we found that two-thirds of women and people of color, as compared to only one-third of white men, said they had to prove themselves repeatedly as compared to their colleagues. This is where we found, though, that there's also an effect by age. Engineers 55 to 64 years old reported having to prove themselves more as compared to other engineers. So the prove it again pattern we found strong effects by gender and race and also effects by age. The second pattern we call the tightrope, and that really reflects the fact that a narrower range of behavior is accepted from some groups than others. So for example, only half of women and people of color, but two-thirds of white men said, I can behave assertively. Similar effects for anger. I can show anger without pushback when it's justified white men were 10 percentage points more likely to agree with that statement. With respect to office housework, this has to do with doing things like finding a time everyone can meet, taking notes, planning office parties. About half of women and people of color said that their view was they did more than their colleagues. Only a quarter of white men agreed. And the access to desirable assignments, women were and people of color were much, much less likely to say they had equal access to desirable assignments. Women were 20% lower than white, 20 percentage points lower than white men. People of color were 30 percentage points lower than white men. And uh, the last tightrope effect was women and people of color were much more likely to say they felt pressure to let others take the lead. Women and people of color were both about twice as likely as white men to agree with that statement. The third pattern concerns gender bias triggered by motherhood. And that was very, very commonly reported. 80% of men but 55% of women said having children 
did not change their colleagues' perceptions of their work commitment and competence. So about half of women reported maternal wall bias. And then the final pattern, tug of war, we didn't get data. We didn't find strong evidence of it. All of this evidence stems from the workplace experiences survey, which is the survey where we took 40 years of lab studies documenting various kinds of bias, and we put it into a simple 10-minute climate survey. We don't know whether there wasn't tug-of-war bias. That may robustly be the case. There also may be a problem with some of the questions. As we looked at the answers to the questions, it was clear to us that some people hadn't understood the questions that we had drafted. So, But that's what we found. We also found that different groups felt less fairly treated with respect to things like hiring and promotions. So both engineers and people of color feel disadvantaged by virtually every workplace process, and a few effects emerged for age as well. Women who responded to the survey were more likely than white men to report that they got paid less as compared to their colleagues and they got less honest feedback. They were Women respondents were less likely than white men to report having as equal access to networking, equal access to advancement opportunities and promotions, and they were less likely to feel that their performance evaluations had been fair. For engineers of color, they were less likely than white men to report that they felt they were more likely than white men to report that they worked more but got paid less as compared to their colleagues. And these engineers also were less likely to feel they got honest feedback than white men. They were also less um, likely than white men to report equal access to networking, promotions, and also less likely to feel their performance evaluations had been fair. The survey respondents also reported some bias in workplace systems based on age. This was actually as the result of regression analysis. Engineers over 45 reported higher levels of bias in performance evaluations and in sponsorship as compared to their younger counterparts. And engineers just a notch older, over 55, reported higher levels of bias in promotions. In addition, engineers with between two and 10 years in the field reported hiring bias after controlling for other variables. So we found pretty complicated patterns of bias by age, but really, really strong and dramatic patterns of bias by both race and gender. And I think, yeah, there was a lot of interesting results in those questions, but you also had open-ended questions and comments at the end of the survey. Were you surprised by some of those comments and how many you've received of those? Yeah, we were, we were astonished. We, from the 3,000 survey, surveys that completed surveys we received, we received roughly almost 1,000 comments about one out of three people left comments. And these comments were sometimes 
long, long comments describing experiences in great detail. This is from, as from a social scientist point of view, this is absolutely awesome. It made the report a lot longer and a lot more work than we had anticipated, but it gives it real richness. So I think a lot of people think, well, why don't we have proportionate numbers of women in STEM? It's just a pipeline problem, or this is just women choosing to leave after they have children because their priorities change. If you believe that, you really should read this report because this report, both the statistics, but even more the comments, really give a very, very vivid description of a climate for women engineers that in many cases, unfortunately, is really, really chilly. It's chilly for women in general. It's even chillier for mothers. Mothers feel that once they have children, colleagues, they don't get good work. Colleagues assume they aren't committed. They have to prove themselves starting from the beginning and prove themselves all over again. The climate is also very different for engineers of color than for white engineers, and they also report really serious climate issues. So that's some of what we found. The comments, just to give you an example of the kinds of comments we found, here's a prove it again comment. Women have to look more professional and demonstrate technical prowess at all times to receive the same level of respect as a male engineer who's just an average engineer. That is an absolutely textbook comment about prove it again. Here's a tightrope one. I was always told I was too aggressive when my male counterparts were recognized as being assertive. So you notice how a narrower range of behavior is being accepted from this was a, a white woman that the stereotypes suggest that a good woman is modest, self-effacing, and nice, and um, a good man is competitive, assertive, and ambitious. So you notice how she was being shoved into a traditionally feminine role. Another, this is a maternal wall one. My colleagues assume I'm a slacker because I have children. Even when I come in evenings or weekends to make up the time I have to miss due to children, also, I don't feel I can talk about my children without being judged. That was an African-American woman. So we also found comments based on race. Here's a prove-it-again comment that reflects racial bias. Being from an international background, not white-bred American raised, we have to work harder. You notice how he attributes their prove-it-again effect to race. Here's a tightrope one. I feel discriminated against said a Latina woman, not only by my gender, but also by my cultural heritage. There are very few opportunities extended to someone like me. I'm given the work, but not the credit for the successful outcome. The message I get over and over again is that I'm capable of getting things done right, but I don't deserve to be promoted, even if the additional responsibilities were given to me. And this, again, is very similar to what we found in our prior study of women in STEM. In another interview, I was actually talking to women out here in the Bay Area, and she had been in an acting capacity in a job for nearly a year. 
And yet when the time came to fill that job, she didn't get the promotion and she was told, oh, we just need a little more time to make sure you're actually going to perform well in this job. So that was a pretty dramatic effect of the fact that women have to sometimes prove themselves far, far more than majority men. It really does prove that this isn't just an issue with one or two people. When you get that number of comments proving all the different areas, they're coming true. For me, a lot of it's been awareness. Once I read the study and now when I'm in certain situations, I can say like, wait a minute, this is implicit bias. It's there. Well, that's the hope. That's the hope that people will begin to be able to recognize it when they see it. I have to say that for people who do read this study and say, hey, this is going on in my organization, we have just unveiled a new website. It's www.biasinterrupters.org. And the website has toolkits that organizations can use to redesign their performance evaluation by making some tweaks, redesign their hiring system. Those are the two business systems, toolkits that we've completed. And so what really organizations should be doing is there's a lot of learning about how to redesign systems so that they don't constantly transmit the same kinds of bias over and over again. And this www.biasinterrupters.org website provides simple, easy-to-implement toolkits for organizations to begin to interrupt some of this kind of bias. The other tool that we have built is a training called Bias Interrupters for Managers, Very often, the kinds of bias trainings that organizations give are based on the implicit association test, and they're really fascinating. They talk about the cognitive and neurological bases of bias, and those kinds of trainings are a good first step, but the problem with those kinds of trainings is that they don't really give you tools to begin interrupting the bias as you go through your day in your daily travels. That's what the bias interrupters for managers does. So for example, one common form of prove it again bias is what we call the stolen idea. This happens both by race and by gender that people feel that others are given credit for an idea I originally offered. So what do you do? You're sitting in a meeting where you see a majority man being given credit for an idea a woman or a person of color originally offered. How can you interrupt that bias in a way that doesn't require you to spend a lot of political capital and that is very low-key and very seamless? That is what the Bias Interrupters for Managers provides is lots of those very concrete strategies for interrupting bias. And we found actually really, really good reaction to this training from people in STEM because it's very, very deeply evidence-based and it's very concrete of like, here's how to see it and here's what to do when you see it. No need to embarrass anyone. Very often, 
the most effective thing to do is not to say, hey, that's biased, but just to reframe the conversation in a subtle way that going forward eliminates the bias. Oh, that sounds like it's a great toolkit that people can use to help break through and hopefully help some people that are experience a lot of the bias. We hope so. So we, we hope to hear from people from at the www.biasinterrupters.org website. Free toolkits, if you're interested in the training, we'd love to talk to you about that too. And I also, from a SWE side, we have our diversity and inclusion cards that have incorporated some of this data on them which is available on the SWE website at SWE.org. I think those are also a great way to work with a group. You can have conversations around them and the topics. They offer some questions and some data. I know some people have been using them in things like team meetings where they can discuss a different topic to create awareness. Because I think a lot of it, like we've been saying, once you realize what they are, you can call it out and do something about it. But if you don't know what it is... You can just be upset or uncomfortable in the situations. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, going back to the stolen idea, you can say something like, you know, Fred, I've been thinking about that idea ever since Sally first said it. You've added something really important, and I'm going to think about your point. Maybe here's the next step. And that's a good example of how you can interrupt the bias without embarrassing anyone or spending your political capital that you often need to husband for different issues. Thanks for that example. One other thing, I think in terms of the the key points to take away, one key point is, again, going back to, to the motherhood issue, a lot of women drop out after they have children not because their priorities shifted, but because the climate chilled. So here are some examples. I didn't even think about any of these gender issues until I had my first child and returned to work. Prior to that, I was treated fairly and could compete with every male colleague. So that's a good example of maternal wall bias. Um, Here's another one. Engineering was great up until my second child. This was a Latina woman, the, the second woman. And here's a third, many men exhibit behaviors that suggest they have an unconscious bias towards me and presume that as a female engineer with three children, I don't take my career seriously. So I think that people who just believe that the only reason that women haven't progressed in engineering is because their priorities shift when they have children should recognize that when they see women leaving after they have children, it may be because their priorities have shifted, but it may be because their careers all of a sudden stalled out completely, and they were given a steady diet of scut work that they had to prove themselves twice as much. Those are all classic maternal wall patterns. Another message, I think, from the report is to think really hard as a manager about who you're giving career-enhancing assignments to. Because the literature shows, the research base shows so strongly that women and people of color are often slated into these worker B roles. And if they express dissatisfaction and say, try to go after 
more substantive and career-enhancing roles, they're seen as being very demanding or being prima donnas. And I think that's another thing that can happen quite unconsciously, but that can lead to high attrition among women and people of color. That makes sense. And I think you... I think I've also remembered from the research that it can also go the other way where their manager will feel that they're doing them a favor by not giving them those more demanding projects because they want to, you know, they feel that they have changing priorities and it may not actually be what the employee wants. Yeah, I mean, and that's another, that's something else we address in the bias interrupters for managers. I mean, what do you do when someone, um, you have a really great assignment that would be a stretch assignment for someone, but she just returned from maternity leave? What you do is call her into your office and say something like, here's an assignment. It's the next step for you in your career. Your skills are exactly here. This is your next step. But if this is not a good time for you, don't hesitate to say so. These things come around from time to time and then make sure they do. And it's really important in this day and age for managers to be doing that not only for women who returned from maternity leave, but for men who have returned from paternity leave. And the men, although they reported lower levels than the women, did report being pressured not to take paternity leave, for example, which is a violation of one and probably two federal laws. And more to the point, from a business standpoint, there's a whole generation of younger men now who feels that being a good father means being involved with the daily care of your children. That's a really important generational shift. And one of the things that we see often is a tug of war among generations of men where older men think the younger men really lack career commitment and the younger men think the older men lack proper family commitment. I mentioned that we didn't find a lot of the final pattern called tug of war. That's when implicit bias creates conflict within the group. We didn't find a lot of it. What we found when we asked those questions was a lot of women saying, oh, I don't have conflict with the other women because I'm the only woman in sight. So those comments, they often said, my biggest challenge is the boys club. That was much stronger in engineering than we did a similar survey in law, for example, that women go, oh, there's no tug of war among women. Our big problem is the boys club. There were some women who reported that conflict among women based on different strategies that different women use about whether or not to assimilate to the boys club. Here's one who said, I've acted like one of the guys to fit in with the rest of the group. This has seemed to help my career. So that's one strategy. And then other strategies are women feeling like, I don't want to have to, you know, talk sports nonstop. That's not who I am. And so you can, you can have conflicts arising among those groups. There's also a study that shows, again, that we didn't find a lot of this, but there's a study that shows that women who have encountered discrimination early in their careers often 
respond by distancing themselves from other women. And here's, a, here's an example of that. Sometimes it is still an old boys club. We have a very strong women's network available to us, but I'm surprised at how many women don't take advantage of opportunities to network and support each other. That's because those women are saying that politically, I think it, the best way for me to get ahead here is by fitting into the boys club. And so I'm not going to go to anything. I'm not going to join SWE. I'm not going to go to any women's events. I'm not going to do anything that aligns me with women against men. So although it did not come through in the numbers, and it definitely was not as strong, we did find some of those tug-of-war comments. Interesting. You know, and I've heard that response before when people have asked about joining SWE. Yeah. And I think for organizations, a really strong and troubling finding is that women and people of color feel so much less fairly treated when it comes to things like hiring, performance evaluations, networking, promotion opportunities, compensation. Those are really troubling findings, particularly when they're backed up by data that shows that women and people of color sometimes are not treated equally when it comes to these workplace systems. And that's what makes the bias interrupters toolkits so important. There was actually one, we were working with one STEM research organization and we did the workplace experiences survey within their organization, and they found strong levels of bias, although interestingly enough, not as strong as we found in the population of engineers in general, so that was good news. And they also found strong levels of bias in every one of the workplace systems except for performance evaluations. And that's because they had implemented an extremely effective bias interrupter, a tweak to their performance evaluation system that had been, was successfully interrupting bias in that arena. And that's an example of what's in the performance evaluation toolkit on the bias interrupters webpage. Well, thank you, Joan. And I'm going to wrap this up. But as we've been talking about the study during this whole conversation, but we haven't told people where to go find it. So the study is available at research.swe.org. This is a new website that SWE has launched this year that has a lot of information about women in engineering, including our own independent research like this, along with other tools to help you find about facts and figures in women in engineering. Joan, I'd like to thank you for joining us today and for your support of working with SWE on this research. Great. It was my pleasure. We've really enjoyed working with SWE. Joan C. Williams. Distinguished Professor of Law at the University of California, Hastings College of Law, and Founding Director of the Center for Work-Life Law. Joan, thank you for participating in SWE's Diverse Podcast Series. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to explore additional offerings from SWE Advance at advancedlearning.swe.org.